you know, look, the way that student works, the way that the entire organization got through the pandemic period was not because you were too busy trying to be somebody else. Right. It was because you were being Chris Thompson. And because Chris is an extrovert, he could connect. You, lean, you could lean into that strength and pull yeah. and yeah. connect people and yeah. connect people more yeah. and bind people more and bring more energy because bringing more energy gives you more energy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Instilling hope and opportunity gives you hope and opportunity. You know those exponential factors for yourself. So you can press those buttons. And is it a little bit of self-manipulation? Absolutely. That's okay. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Really, really excited. Um, Govin is uh, is just a, an incredible uh, friend of mine. He is one of our most successful alumni. Had an incredible, uh, successful entrepreneurial career that we really dig into in a really, really big way uh, today. Uh, and um, the different phases of his career, um, and then also how he and his organization that is looking literally to save millions of lives and save millions of dollars might even be billions uh, with the structures that he's looking to set up and has been organizing with Imba Medical. But uh, Gopin is just so wise. um, And, uh, and I know you're going to love this, this podcast. I love the conversation that we had. And so, you know, uh, all that I always really ask for is, Hey, when you when you listen to this pod and you're you're thinking, do I know someone? Is there someone down the block? Is there a cousin? Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, someone in my class, someone that I know that maybe is looking for a really really amazing leadership program to get involved in, really really grow, like to be the type of person Govin can be in in the in the in the world. They shoot me an email, cthompson at studentworks.com, or send them to studentworks.com where they can find more about us or share this podcast. So thank you so much. Um, I know you're going to love this podcast and have a super fantastic day. Govin, so excited to have you on part two. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. I I just uh, wonder about my ability to land the plane because it's part two. So clearly I couldn't get it done in one. So let's give it, let's, let's give the, let's give the guy a second shot to get it right. Right, Chris, is that what this is? (laughs) Well, no, no, no. You're a little bit of a, of a hero or, or uh, a legend in this business. So uh, no, you matter. And that's why you're back. So we're back at it. We, we didn't get to cover all the things I wanted to cover. And, uh, First of all, for our, all our leaders, you can check out podcast 104 uh, that led off year two of the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. That's when Dove and I had a really great conversation. And we're going to avoid those topics, but talk about other things. And, and, and that was January. Well, really, I guess we posted in January. What had the fall of 2019? So actually, why don't we walk back to when, when it was set up, 2020? So before the pandemic. And, and so what's, what's happened in your life, you know, what's happened in your business, 
you know, and uh, in this in this crazy world of this pandemic. Yeah, that's awesome. I, but in true Govan fashion, I'm going to stop for a second and maybe rewind <laughs> first before we go forward. You said something and you're laughing because it's the stuff I do. But and we're old friends, so so I hope you, you, you indulge me on this. Yeah, said something like I was a bit of a hero or 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 yeah. uh, or something like that. And and I think and I'm flattered because I know the intent it comes from yes. a, a loving intent, and I, I care deeply about you, Chris. And I see I see the great things in you, but I can assure you, and you and I were both talking about this off the cuff, but I can assure you that we are just people trying yes. to figure things out. Right, we're on a yes. path of discovery. Uh, I'm no different than anybody else. And and I see more of myself in the many great uh, operators that I have been introduced to, um, mm -hmm. even recently, you know, first time yeah. operators, veteran operators, your managers, your coaches, uh, all the way through your organization. I feel deeply connected to them and where they are yeah. more than any other status. That So I think it's really important that we all understand that we are in a state of becoming. We're becoming who we really are over our lives. And, and this is just another stage in it. And if we can participate in that together, that sense of connectedness, that sense of connection can really push us through the challenges that we face together. And that's, I think that's more important than anything else. And, and I think let, let's hold on to that. That yeah. That's the bigger thing to hold on to um, I, than I any sense that. of, of anybody being at a different stage or a different place than anybody else. Yeah, no, I think that's really wonderful, you know, and not, not surprising you come back to humility and that's, you know, really who you are. You're a really, you know, humble leader. And by the way, in my mind as well, the wiser we get, the more we know we're missing. And that's wonderful because that's perfect. And there's just an opportunity to become more. There's an opportunity also just to understand that's not my strength. And that's why we have a team to go and support uh, and, and wonderful, you know, friends and, and, and guides and, you know, who are on this journey with us to, to, to help us in those times of need. And that you're right. Like it's, it's a lot of times people would look at where you are or where I am and say, wow, really high status or, or, you know, so successful quote unquote. And we were just talking before the call, we were basically doing dad errands before the call and we post postponed our podcast to do dad stuff. Oh, you know, you know, dad, dad's needed. And, and these are not important. Well, sorry, they're all, of course they're important, but, but they're, they're not technical or highly wise, uh, you know, things we needed to do. And they're below minimum wage replacement jobs. Let's, <laughs> let's be clear. Like if, if you paid somebody minimum wage to do these jobs, they'd be pretty excited to get compensated in that way. So, Absolutely. so let's be clear about our staff. <laughs> all of these things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, but that's, but I think it's really important that we, that we so uh, your question was to roll back. Yes. Roll Let's back. roll back to 2020. And um, in 2020, uh, early 2020, January and February, I was feeling pretty optimistic about where we were. Yeah. We were forecasting, I think at the time of our podcast, we even may have started to let the cat out of the bag that I thought that we were going to be, you know, a 300% growth year. Uh, I felt really strong about 2020 fiscal. Yes. Um, can't remember what happened. Something happened late February, early March that sort of derailed that a little bit. And, you know, so, so here's the thing that people put on about veneers and the danger about labels. Oh, this person's successful. This person's this, this person's that. Is in March, you know, all those forecasts went out the window. 
And we, we, like a lot of organizations, went into a little bit of survival mode. Like, what are we going to need to do? What are we going to need to pivot? How are we going to lean into our strengths in the face of these you know, very consequential and unnavigable waters? Like, like, let's be, none of us, none of us had a compass for what was going on. Nobody had a map for what was going to happen next. And nobody would have predicted that we would not be playing Groundhog Day, but Groundhog Year, a year later, right? So I think, I think that was all unexpected. Another thing that was really unexpected was the fact that, you know, all of that 300% growth went on pause immediately and pause in a very rough way. I mean, we're a fair sized organization. So when you've got a lot of momentum moving forward and an engine that's requiring us to participate with clients, you know, in an innovative early stage growth company, you really need to innovate alongside your partners. And when they're also facing a significant amount of pressure and noise, everybody sort of goes dark and is taking care of themselves and taking care of what's urgent. And you lean into that a little bit, but revenue stopped. I mean, yeah. by stopped, I mean stopped. Yeah, there were zero. eight months of halted revenue and not halted revenue growth. I mean, halted revenue. And those are really scary periods uh, okay. for a lot of organizations. Now, thankfully for us, we're, we're well capitalized. We were able to do what we needed to do all the way through that period. And that comes from a lot of the conversations that we would have had in the first podcast, right? Some of those ideas that we discussed in the first time uh, together. But really the idea was, okay, how do we lean into this? How do we face this challenge as an opportunity? And we, the, the main part of the platform is diabetes prevention, chronic disease prevention and wellness. And so we were working with healthcare providers in that area and, and that work continued, but then we had this opportunity to pivot and help people with COVID-19. And we immediately on March 16th, we launched a, a daily health screening platform for essential workers, uh, gave it to all of our clients for free. And, you know, nobody had done any of that kind of work before. That was a brand new idea even back yeah. then. Uh, fast forward a few months and now we're helping thousands and thousands of kids go from curb to classroom uh, safely. The schools that have deployed using our platform in the United States may have temporarily closed because they were able to detect outbreaks using right. our, our platform, but they opened and have stayed open for the entire duration uh, uh, since September. So since August to now, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. And it's nice to have played a small part in that puzzle, right? In that in that whole journey. So, you know, I'm I'm really sort of glossing over what was a big year and what was a long year in some ways, but that's what's happened. And so that's where we were in in January or February of 2020. Now we closed out the year without the growth numbers that I I thought, but we recovered to have a pretty good year. It was a growth year. And this year will recover some of that growth that we thought we might have in the previous year. Uh, and I think we, in some areas, we might even eclipse it. What we'll see. But it, we have reason to feel optimistic right now. Yeah, no. No, it's really, it's really great. And, and, you know, for our leaders, you know, there are going to be black swan events that are going to happen in your life and, and in your business. And, and then how do we deal with it? You know, any, like, 
any thoughts on on you know mindsets or or ways of being in those moments or periods? Yeah, well, I, I think I think number one is people focus a lot of a time and energy on things like SWOT analyses, right? Mm-hmm. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And I think that that's a short-sighted approach. I think that that our weaknesses are our weaknesses. Right. We should recognize them. We should know yes. that they're there. Yeah. But, you know, there's no amount of energy uh, that I can spend into my weaknesses that, to really move the needle to become best in class in them. Not a chance. Not going to change. For me, them. not a chance. Yeah. Now, I have a shot at really understanding them, noticing them, being more self-aware. So yes. when I'm going into the areas of weakness that I'm aware of those things, uh, but I'm never going to eliminate them. And I'm never going to become oh, that thing that I'm weak at. I'm never going to become one of the best at yes. in the world, right? So on, on the flip side, right? I mean, if, for example, I'm a very goal-driven person. Yes. And when... Push comes to shove, and when things are on, when the when the needle is on the pressure, when the pressure is down, and the heat is up, and the temperature's up, I will focus on the task, and I will forget people, mm-hmm. and and that's my tendency. My tendency right. is let's get this list done. Yeah. And oh, by the way, you're standing in front of me, and I want to be on the other side of you. I'm sorry that you were there because I'm going to run over you, and you're laughing because you and I share. This yeah. weakness. So what do we do? We surround ourselves with people who we will listen to and we will notice I'm becoming mm-hmm. very task oriented now. I'm not going to notice people. I right. got to take a breather. Now's right. not the time for me to be leading people because I'm not going to see what they need. I'm going right. to step away. Right. And you now I know for me that I need to step back. And support my other leaders in the organization who are more able to support the people in that situation. And then I can come back into it. I can follow them. I can follow them like a leader in that yes. situation. So there's that's one thing to think think of and keep in mind. But the other other side of it is I think it's really important in that strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, is to really take your strengths and point them in the direction of your opportunities. Right. I, there are some things I'm really good at. Yeah. And the the best among us learn to know what they are. And I, I you and I think we're talking about this earlier on, but it's the journey of becoming who you really are in thought, word, and action at all times. And how do you fa- stay that focused that you know who you are and you can be yourself? So what do you do in these situations? How does a leader stay focused in these situations? Be yourself. Yeah. Be really true to yourself. Understand your strengths and point them in the direction of the opportunities. The threats, the industry threats that you cannot control will be there whether you're asleep, awake, working 18 hours a day, 25 hours a day, or two hours a day. But what you can do is be highly efficient about the deployment of your strengths in the direction of your opportunities. That will move the needle. And that will help your team because that's what they're counting on you for for doing right yeah i i love that that's really wise um just boom go in that direction and if i think about the things that we did well we did that well you know okay here's we're just going here in a big big way and and let's stay focused in that let's communicate a lot let's uh you know enroll everyone to see the huge opportunity that we had in front of ourselves well if i remember right chris i mean i was going on dog walks uh with you in my ears 
and we would be talking together at that time. And you said those very same things that you're saying now. It's absolutely accurate that that's what you did. You saw that there was an opportunity to support your community. And your community includes your operators. And it's not just about the clients. It's about your people. And it's about your people and your people, your tribe is your operators. And you saw an opportunity for them to lean into them and support them. And they're tremendous strength in all of this. They're, they've been usually resilient, but they've been led by you. And so, you know, if you, if you look at, at, at society and how it's constructed, you know, leaders have the ability to provide an umbrella of support and protection in turbulent and hard times, but we need to stand in the rain. We need to stand yeah. in that pressure and understand the direction that it's coming from. We need to point our strengths in the direction of the opportunity. Yeah. And in doing that, we shield our team, give them the ability to deliver some relief, you know, give them some relief so they can go out and do great things. But it takes a lot of clarity to do that. So what's the mindset piece? Well, take care of yourself. Make sure yeah. that you're that you're doing the little things to take care of yourself so that you can be yourself. And no one is going to fault. You know, somebody's sitting here listening to this and saying, oh man, I did this and I did that. And people yeah, are going to see. didn't do quite as well or whatever. Know, I, yeah. I could have done. Great. Notice it. Yeah. How aware of you right now to be, to be yeah. in your mind, in your heart, identifying, oh my goodness, there was this opportunity that I could have done better. Great. Yeah. Notice it. What was the pre-step? What was the thing that came? Take a moment and and wind it back a little bit and yeah. see that place that came before that moment, so that you can say, okay, if I feel that way again, I'm going to go to somebody and yeah. I'm going to ask them for support. Yeah, and I know if somebody's in there going, oh my god, I can't do that because that's going to then they're going to be on to me. Then they're going to know that I suck. Yeah, but they, they already know that already. Like, I mean, let's we be honest. We, yeah. we, we all saw. Are you human? Are you yeah. human? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. So yeah. so we all know. And, and the people that we care about, the people that we put around us already know mm-hmm. that we have this frailty, this problem, this challenge, this opportunity, yeah. whatever. Right? They have these things. They've already accepted it. Yes. So why not get them to support you on it? Yeah. It's, 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 it sounds kind of obvious when you say it, but it's real hard to do. Right? It's real it's, hard to do. It's hard to get to, to, to remember we all can see the weaknesses in others. Sometimes we, we're not aware that others see the weakness in us. And that's great. It's okay. And as you were talking, it reminded me, you know, we talk a lot. And I remember one time talking to you and it was like, you know, checking in on, you checked in on me. I was like, I'm very, I'm feeling very, very, I'm feeling very, very. And it was like, Chris, you've mentioned this time that you are really feeling very, very. And it was about social interaction. And ever since that conversation, I've got like a reminder that pops up. Am I filling up my extroversion bucket? What am I doing? Am I, you know, you know, and again, in this weird world, what can I do? Having calls, having Zoom meetings, doing, doing things that will, will fill me up because I'm an extrovert to make sure I'm, I'm healthy. And so then I can lead. And so when, again, when we're sharing with our friends and people who know us, they'll, they'll, they'll see things that I, I couldn't see at the time. And, and, but it's, it's interesting since we've had that conversation, I've been very attuned to it. You know, you noticed just, it, right. You yes. can notice the step and you also notice when it's not there, mm-hmm. right. When, when that bucket is drying out, mm-hmm. you, you can say, Hey, wait a minute, I'm thirsty. I'm going to fill that bucket up. 
I got to get on that. Yeah, because I've literally never felt it before in my life because there's never been a, a, a pandemic. So, and I always am filling that bucket just on a regular basis with the job that I have and the roles that I have. And then also just the things that I like to do socially, et cetera, or business connections or, or you know, enrolling people, all the different things I do. So I'd never experienced it. And it was like, you know, you caught me, who knows where I was, maybe two or three out of 10, you know? So, so thank you for that, you know? Um, no, that's, that's awesome. That's the, that's the role that we have for each other. Right. If, if we are going to commune with each other, if we're going to be together, this is what we're here for. Right. So, so let's, let's be there. So, so what do we need to do? Nothing. We don't need to do anything differently in stressful situations. We need to be mindful of being ourselves and not, not putting on that Teflon shield, not pretending that you're an Avenger uh, and and somehow it protected from the elements, it, it's going to sweep you up yeah. and it's going to hurt and that's okay. And you're going to be scared and you're not going to know mm-hmm. what, how to figure things out on your own in that moment, yeah. but it's okay to be mm-hmm. right. And you need to be you in that moment so that you can really leverage it. And, yeah. and because, you know, look, the way that student works, the way that the entire organization got through the pandemic period was not because you were too busy trying to be somebody else. Right. It was because you were being Chris Thompson and because Chris is an extrovert, he could connect. You could lean into that strength and pull and connect people and connect people more and bind people more and bring more energy because bringing more energy gives you more energy. Right. Instilling hope and opportunity gives you hope and opportunity. You know those exponential factors for yourself. So you can press those buttons. And is it a little bit of self-manipulation? Absolutely. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, one one mantra we had is there's no better place to be in a pandemic than with us. You know, that's that was one of the the mantras we had and and just, you know, feeling that. And so, but one of the things I wanted to do, because I know our our leaders um, would love to know sort of the story. You know, post student works, we we had we had we had a couple of years with Govin or student painters at the time. You know, walking out. You know, what did Govin do to get where he is now? Like, what was what was the first first thing uh, that you went and started getting involved in? Okay, so. Uh... This is a long time ago, but I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. So yeah, uh, coming out of Student Painters and you were just thinking about the rebrand at that time. Yes. And I, I was at University of Ottawa. I, had, uh, I was very active in the student body there as well. Started a club called the Entrepreneurs Club. We started to do these events uh, that were growing. One of them was the business dinner. Uh, and in the years that followed, we had an elevator pitch competition, an L event, and other, you know, which we called at the time women in business event. So we had a number of events that were all about connecting students with role models, people right. that they thought, you know, they could emulate, you know, those careers they could learn from and putting them in social situations so that you could learn from them. I mean, yes, the speaker was interesting. But it was really the relationship that you would build sitting at a table with somebody that would be more interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I was involved that way. Um, of course, there was school, but immediately following uh, student painters, I, I wanted to 
start to acquire real estate. Uh, so I started to look into how to do that. I bought a house um, and bought another property, fixed them up, was, you know, occupied myself with the, with the, with the business of being a small time landlord. Right. Um, and was thinking about what I was going to do next. I got accidentally into, let's call it arbitrage and arbitrage, meaning that I could buy things at a cheaper price and sell it, you know, break bulk and sell it at a, at a higher price. And one of the things that I started to get into was computers. So used computers being a government town in Ottawa at the time, they were effectively discarding computers that were, you know, two or three years old and they were way too slow. I mean, people weren't buying them and, and, and it's, it's laughable to think about because they're all so slow. I mean, all of our phones yes. are, yeah. our watches are more powerful than the computers that we were using back then. But, you know, uh, at the time I, I was able to acquire these for literally for just the disposal fee. I, I mean, they'd almost in some cases pay me to take them away. Wow. And so I would take these and then sell them to developing countries and okay. uh, to computer schools and developing countries and that kind of thing. And one thing sort of led to another and uh, somebody wanted to get some new computers. So, yeah, I think I know a guy and that guy was going to become me. And, and I figured out how to assemble computers. I hired somebody who knew more about it than I did. Right. And we assembled and shipped a thousand computers. Uh, so we started doing uh, peripherals and computers. The margins started to tighten in that business pretty quickly. You know, mm-hmm. hardware peripherals really started to go away. And the late 90s, I made a shift into software. And the shift happened really accidentally. One of the clients that I was selling computers to said, Hey, you know, we have these people that are now training on languages, you know, XML, HTML, and so on and so forth. And they need projects, they need stuff to work on. So, do you have any projects? I said, Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. The first thing about selling software, uh, a software, you know, offloading software uh, consultancy services to an overseas country wasn't really done back then. No, it wasn't. I didn't, yeah. I didn't really see that as a viable model, but I, I, there were some things I wanted. So I thought, hey, you know, it's kind of neat. I want to be able to, back then we had these flip phones with the text uh, interface and I wanted to be able to look at websites better. So okay. I wondered if there was a solution to be able to organize websites in a way that made more sense on a text-based device uh, that, and that could give you the ability to navigate more of the web. And so I started, so I started pitching them projects. Say, hey, right. you know, could it be, could you do this? Could you do that? Could you, it's just stuff that I wanted. Right. And I slowly developed a market for that. And I ended up selling pieces of that software off to much bigger companies and uh, left with a little bit of cash. From that, okay. uh, and decided to switch gears. I thought. And so, one quick sec, Govan. You, so, you spent this period of time in this space, like a young, uh, you know, our leaders are going to go, How did you discover that? How would, you know, how did this occur to you? Like, you know what I mean? Come, you know, like what, 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 what happened so that you saw these opportunities? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that as I was saying it. I, <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon you were going to ask me that question. And, uh, and I, I wish there was an easy answer other than I saw, I saw that there was something that was hard to do. Right. Right. And I knew it was hard to do because people were asking me, could you do it? 
Okay. And I didn't know an answer. Like I would go around and research and I would talk to people and I'd ask them because I'm not shy to ask people, Hey, what do you think about? Or do you think that, you know, do you know anybody? And, and, yeah. and like you, I'm a little extroverted that way. And so I, I would have no problem asking, Hey, yeah. have you ever heard of anybody doing this? And, and I'd read, like I read a lot, right? Right. Even back then I could read really quickly. I made it my business to learn how to read quickly so I could absorb a lot of information fast. Right. And uh, so I made it something I wanted to do to absorb a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find, and I'd speak to my profs, my, you know, profs are a wonderful source of information, man. They, they speak and talk to and read a lot and they yes. research a lot. So you go to a prof and say, have you ever heard of somebody doing something like this? Yeah. And if they say no, this their no probably carries a little bit of weight. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're, if you're still a student in school and you're not asking your prof free information while you're in their class, you're probably missing an opportunity. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're, they're really great. And I, and I really believe that R and D for entrepreneurs, for small business means rip off and duplicate. So if you yeah. can find somebody else doing it, that's great. Now. So for me, I think what I would do is I, I, I had the sense of, of, being able to attune myself to something that hadn't been done. Now, here's the thing that was that is counterintuitive. I knew nothing about anything until I started doing it. That's so amazing. I knew, like, I had, I didn't know the first thing about computers. Yeah, before I started. Yeah, uh, I didn't know the first thing about software until I started. I didn't know the first, and then my next step was into renewable fuel and biodiesel. And I, yeah, I became, because how did you get involved in that? Because I know you've been involved in it for a long time, but I never asked this. So, you know, how did that happen? Well, so how that happened was I I read again, reading, uh, I found, I found somebody talking about how Rudolph diesel invented the diesel engine in 1908, uh, demonstrated at the Paris world World fair running on peanut oil. And he said, in his patent documents for the for the diesel engine, that there will come a time when people will look at oil and gas resources that exist above the soil, above the earth, with the same passion that they look at those beneath. And, and, and so he was looking at the coal tar products of the day and saying, hey, yeah. you know, what if we had a sustainable engine that ran on oil? That's right. what he built. The, the that's what he built the diesel engine for. Now, what's even more interesting about this is that even Ford built the ga- internal combustion engine on, ga- on, on alcohol first, and then it right. went to gasoline. And he used to say his famous thing was, drink the best and burn the rest. <laughs> right? So both of these people who built, com- you know, what, the, what we call the hallmarks of the fossil fuel era, built what they thought were very powerful renewable fuel vehicles. And wow. I thought to myself, I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. But how hard is it to transport? And then right. I heard, well, wait a minute, this thing can be burned in a diesel engine without any modification to the engine. It can be transported in the same way that diesel fuel can, which is a bit of an overstatement, but it, it can be. It can be pumped in the same distribution infrastructure. So I was like, oh, well, this sounds too good to be true. So I found a company. Again, it was hard to find. I found a company in Las Vegas, uh, a company called Biodiesel Industries. And I right. reached out to them and said, hey, can I buy some biodiesel and will you ship it to me? And they were too stupid to say no. And they said, yeah, sure, we can ship it to you. They shipped yeah. me a 20-gallon pail. Uh, oh, sorry, a five-gallon pail of biodiesel. I rented a diesel generator 
from, you know, rental X, rental tool and equipment rental place and poured this biodiesel uh, right into the engine, right into the fuel tank. And, and I thought to myself, Oh crap, I just bought myself a generator. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought I just wrecked it. Oops. But um, the guy that was with me knew something about diesel engines and, and had rented generators many times. And we pulled the, the cord and it ran. And he said, I've never heard a generator run this quietly before. Wow. And I went, nah, you're just saying that. I said, yeah, and it doesn't stink, man. Like, this is really weird. This is cool. I can't believe this is working. We figured we were onto something. I decided to go down to Las Vegas and meet the guy who sent it to me. Right. Um, and uh, again, I knew nothing about biodiesel. Mm-hmm. I decided to become an expert. And I uh, became one of the first major distributors of biodiesel fuel in Canada. Uh, and then we moved slowly south because the market was better and bigger. And we didn't have to deal with some cold weather issues that we discovered. Unfortunately, we discovered them. We were the first. We made a lot of mistakes. Uh, we had problems. We understood why the problems existed. And you know, our mistakes helped to make the industry better over time. But yeah, so we were a pioneer in that industry and we opened the first renewable fuel station in the country. Right. We opened the first renewable fuel pump, biodiesel pump in the country. First B5, B20 pump. So B and the number represents the, just like you see E10 is 10% ethanol. Right. So e, B5 would be 5% biodiesel and 95% petroleum diesel. And, uh, and we did some, we had some huge wins um, in my time in the industry and it was a lot of fun. But yeah. What's complete- the advantage? What's the advantage for our leaders? Cause I know what it is, but what's our, the advantage for the leaders of biodiesel? Why, why is that a, why is that a value for your customers? Well, um, so, so if you're, if you're a mandated party in the United States, meaning that you're somebody receives state or federal funding and that exists to some degree in Canada, but definitely in the United States, the, the funder has the only way the federal government has the opportunity in the United States uh, or the state government really to influence, and certainly, certainly uh, federally, right. the only way they have the ability to influence anybody to do anything is by giving them a carrot, saying, we'll give you more money or we'll take away some of your money if you don't hit certain targets. So they would hit immersions targets. And the really elegant part about biodiesel is that biodiesel gives you a huge bang for your buck on hitting environmental targets at a very low level of concentration. So for a low level of concentration for a B2 to B5 level, most fleets could include biodiesel in their diesel fuel and maintain high levels of funding, operational funding, which was the hardest funding for them to get. Okay. So there is something called the Clean Cities Program in the United States and, and, and other places. And that program would fund greener fleets. And this would okay. be a very easy way to green your fleet. You just include biodiesel. And, and the environmental benefits, the, you know, the, 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 the ability to sell the fact that you're doing something significant for the environment was also pretty profound. I mean, think about it. In, uh, I'll give you a quick sense of how incredible it could be. In New York Harbor, one year when we started really doing work in New York Harbor, we uh, calculated at the end of the year, the end of the one summer season, that we had single-handedly as one company contributed to a 3% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions Wow! in the harbor. Huge. And that, and that was just one company, one year. That's how big it can be. 
Now, that wasn't sustainable because we took advantage of some opportunities that existed in a moment of time to be able to create that. But that was huge. Right? It was a huge uh, thing that one little company that no one's ever heard of before could do that. So the, the thing for the leaders to take again from this is I'm not special. I, I'm really not. I, right. I, 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 I'm doing the thing that everybody on the call, everybody, everybody listening can do. All I did was I was willing to understand when something was going to be hard to do, that it would be hard for me to do. And then I undertook to make sure that I knew everything I needed to know about it. And I didn't, I didn't worry about knowing everything about it at the beginning. I just got wildly curious, like not just a little curious, wildly curious. And I really understand it, really dig into it, really figure it out, be willing to get it wrong. Right. Um, and and maybe maybe foolishly at times, but but bet on myself. And and look, I, you know, I'm talking about the things that did, I did that worked. You know, I I tried to get into professional sports, went really bad. I tried to do other things, it went really bad. I, right. I made mistakes that were expensive. So willingness to also make a mistake and know <laughs> that it's going to be okay, and I'm going to try again. I'm going to go again. Uh, and failure really isn't an option. No, mistakes are an option. Failure is not an option. Failure right. to me means that I I quit trying. That I stopped. Quit. Yeah, that yeah. I stopped. And st- it, like that. Even honestly, Chris, even just talking about the fact of stopping or or being stopped makes me anxious. Like I, it's just sure. not. It's not something I can think of doing. Even just considering it's not, it. Yeah, it's not no, even 100%. an option. Like it. Yeah. No. It makes me squirrely just to think yeah. about. And again, on the other hand, just like me, you've been stopped in enterprises or you've got a, this stopped. I can't do this anymore. It's not working. You know, we got to, we got to pull. This is, this is, you know, again, this fit, this is a failing idea. It won't work. Uh, and, and I'm already at the same time going down a new road, you know, just, just, you know, move it, move it, moving forward, move it forward. Yeah. I mean, there's a song that um, I'm, I'm sure that nobody <laughs> knows the words to other than you and I is listening right now uh, because of our vintage, but there's a song that I, I actually, I had this in my funny story. This, this lyric was part of my high school uh, yearbook uh, saying it was, yes, there are two paths you can go down, but in the long run, there's still time to change the path you're on yeah. the road you're on. And that's Led Zeppelin and stairway to heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're a guitar player, it's the forbidden song. You're not allowed to play it, but and, you know, the lyric is really powerful. It always spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are always faced with a choice. And the choice is ever present, but right. also ever changeable. You know, you must make a choice. Right. You, you, even standing still is a choice. People think that there's only yeah. two options, but there are three. And unfortunately, indecision as a choice was not something that sat well with me. Yeah. So I was always going to choose. But that also meant that I could re-choose if I wanted to. And I didn't, I didn't consider that a failure. I, I considered indecision a failure. Yeah. So did you exit that business? Yeah. Uh, well, it's on the, on the path. It, okay. I okay. operationally exited that business. Um, I knew you had operationally because it never comes up in our conversations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I will be completely exited it. Um, I would imagine by the end of this calendar year. So I know one thing that you spent an enormous amount of time was writing a book, training, coaching, mentoring outside your business. 
Yep. Can you talk about that? What you learned from that? What you got out of that? You, you had a fantastic podcast. I know you're really nervous now because this is, you know, your second podcast. So yeah. you've done hundreds of podcasts. So yeah. So, <laughs> uh, what did I learn from that? So this is a really great story. I, you know, I'll answer your question by deflecting and talking about somebody else because that's easier to do in this case. I believe that we are our best when we are for others what we need in the world, right? I mean, we meaning what we need, we give to others. And by giving it to others, there's more of it. Right. And we create abundance for ourselves in doing that. And there's a great story about a great Canadian author. His name is Robert Munch. And Robert Munch, little known story, because um, so Robert Munch is a, is a children's book author, writes enormously silly books, right? They're humorous and outlandish. Uh, like with titles like Stinky Socks and Paperback Princess and stuff like that, right? So outlandish, right. crazy stories. But out of all of those outlandish, crazy stories that he may be well known for, there is a story that he is by far his number one bestseller. And it's actually a book called I Love You Forever. I love and, that. That's what I thought the book was. I just love that book. Yes. Yeah, I love that book too. So I Love You Forever. Now, it's totally unlike all of his other books, right? It's not silly at all. I mean, it's a little kind of creepy at parts yeah. uh, because of the relationship between the uh, mother and, and the mother gets into a grown man's house and picks him up and rocks him. That's uh, yeah. a little weird. But the, the story tells is, is told about how this, this mother is bringing up his, her child and every single time uh, that this child is experiencing a different thing in his life. It recites the same thing. And I bet you even can even say from our, I love you forever. I'll like you for always, as long as you're living my baby, you will be. Yeah. And so what was different about this story is that Robert Munch recited the story to himself at first. It came to him in a moment and it was a very personal and private thing because many people don't know that Robert Munch and his wife attempted to have many children. And they were unable to conceive. In fact, many times they went all the way to full term and miscarried or near term. Yeah. Miscarried. So horrible. And each time um, he would, this poem would come to him. Yeah. Before always, I like before always, as long as you're living, as long as I'm living, my baby. Right. So, I mean, I, it still gives me goosebumps to think about Same the story, right? Just yeah. think about that as a we, father. We, now, we read, it, we read it a lot. We read it a lot. It, it got it got it got worn out, and it's 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 there. Uh, Helen's got it packaged for the grandkids, yeah. so uh, with a bunch of other things. Yeah. So the meaning of the story is even more powerful. So they later on adopted a bunch, you know, children, and uh, Robert Munch would perform his stories. Right, he, he'd get on and tell these crazy stories about silly socks, and he, you know, he'd make these crazy voices. And one day when he was performing, the rest of the story came together. The right. story that we now see. And so he goes to his publisher with the story. And if you'll notice, right, the illustration is very different in I Love You Forever yes. uh, than the rest of the books. And this is why. He went to his publisher and the publisher declined the book. He said, this book is uh, not like you and it's a little weird and we don't want to do it. He was upset and uh, apparently uh, commiserated his upsetness with a, a distributor. Uh, of his books, who was a friend of his, um, right. and not a publisher, but a distributor. And he said, Robert, this book is amazing. I, I want to do it. Let's do it. And he goes, mm -hmm. 
you're not a publisher. You you don't know anything about publishing a book. How are we going to publish a book? Right. I'm an author. We don't even have an illustrator because my my illustrator is bound in contract. This uh, we have to do the whole thing a different way. It's not going to be a Robert Munch book. It's going right. to be like a nothing book. And how are you, who's never been a producer publisher, how are you going to do this? I said, let's do it. Figure it out. Let's mm-hmm. do it. So they did it, and it's his all-time best-selling book. And actually, the number three or four all-time children's best-selling book. Right. It was a story he needed to heal himself, and he gave it to people, and it became the biggest contribution he made. Right? Awesome. And, and to me, profit follows contribution. Right. You you give, yeah. and you receive. So in, in an incredibly less significant way, what I needed at that time when I was writing Paper Napkin Wisdom and when I was doing the podcast was I, I knew that, that I had a lot to learn as a leader. Right. I knew that I had a lot to learn as, in a lot of aspects of my life. And, and that was sort of poignantly given to me by one of my mentors who, who wrote me a note. And when I asked him to mentor me, he wrote, he signed off, you have so much to give, you had better start now. And I was like, oh my God, he's calling me on my BS, you know, <laughs> that I haven't started on anything yet. Right. And I really need to get going. I, I, like, I need to get going here. I need to marshal some resources into committing myself to doing the work right. of becoming a leader. I have an imposing persona and personality, so people will give me stage, but do I earn it? Do I deserve it? Right. What am I going to do with it when it comes right. to me? And I think that I squandered it and wasted it for a, long, a lot of that time up until that point. Right. So I made it my business to try to figure out the pathway that others had used to transcend to another level. That was the next thing I needed to learn. I think right. I knew how to run a small business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew how to run a small business badly and I knew how to run a small business. <laughs> okay. But what was I going to do about running a big business? And, uh, you know, how, how, and then I started to get exposed to other people who were able to hire people that were just beyond my imagination and good, competence yeah. and trust. Like, I mean, just really good people. And I was like, Oh my God, you hire that person. How, why would that person come and work for you? Yeah. Like I know you. You know you. How do how do they how, like? How are they there? And I learned how. And I think what I tried to describe, and I don't know that I did a great job of it. Honestly, I, I think I did an okay job of it in that book right. with with Jack Daly's help. But but I think that if I were to revisit that, is to do a better job of describing the path that someone needs to go through to really become a leader, and that that's the self discovery path. Yeah. So the book is organized in a manner of self-discovery. And it's the, the, this discovery that I did uh, as I did the podcast, the discovery that I did as I wrote and organized my thoughts around mm-hmm. the podcast and the book and how I noticed around me how much it transformed. For me. And the, the, the challenge then becomes is that, that book and then the coaching itself becomes a bit of a machine on its own. And that wasn't a natural machine for me in that way. That wasn't something that was filling my bucket right? Uh, okay. Th- the way I needed to. So I needed to change that and move away from it in its current form. Right. Um, but that said, I'm really, really tremendously grateful for it. And I think that by practicing the messages that I was entrusted with along that path, I got to do really neat things like mentoring and 
Accelerator, uh, which is a part of the Entrepreneurs Organization. It's a, it's a great program. I got to participate with that. I got to participate in other things in EO that were really powerful in growing me uh, to, to be a, a more complete person and leader. Yeah. And I think it's, a friend of mine likes to say that if you're not, if your business isn't the business you want, then you're not the person you want to be or that you need to be right. You, you always have the business that you're ready for. You okay. always have the business that matches your leadership skill. And if you want your business to grow, then your skill must grow. Right. Your aptitude must grow. So I think one of the things that I became very diligent about was growing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, um, that's fantastic. And I like your story. And I'll, 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 uh, one of the things for me is I spent a, n- a whole number of years on the sort of the EO track and chairman, sorry, uh, president of the Toronto board and uh, form trainer and um, mentorship trainer. And I, and one of the big things for me that it did is really just open myself up to, again, the strengths and weaknesses of these other entrepreneurs, the opportunities they're facing, the, you know, and just, you know, in some ways it gave me a lot of confidence and hey, wow, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I'm, you know, in these, these lanes. I'm really good in this lane and, 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 and understanding, you know, uh, by understanding other people more and very successful people, the lanes that, you know, I should play in. And again, I ended up walking away as well. One big decision we made about 10 years ago, I guess maybe now 13, 14 years ago was to walk away from all that and just be deadly dialed in, in this. And it's made such an enormous difference. And I feel so filled up every day. I would I would say that the the danger with a lot of um, mastermind groups is they're intoxicatingly awesome. Right? Yeah. I mean they they give you so much that you don't want to be away from it. Yeah. But that exclusivity is a dangerous pill because uh, it is not there that that leaders impacts needs to be, it needs to be in their homes, mm-hmm. in their families, in their communities, in their businesses. That's the place that you need to lean in. And if you're leaning out in those places, it makes it sometimes challenging to lean in and truly coach your team and be, you know, this idea that there's a part of Part of you that you don't share with your team, you know, the wins and the, and the losses, then simply puts you in a position where you have to face them forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and great that you've got a mastermind group to go and speak to once a month and share that with. However, how much better would it be if you shared those wins and losses with the people who invest eight hours a day with you? Of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that would be better. So I think yes. I, I needed to step away. I, it was right for me to step away and lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I can, and, yeah. and that was right for me at that time. But I'm enormously grateful for the journey that it set me on because I would not be where I am today had it not been yeah. going through those steps. Yeah. So I, I, that's, that's what it meant to me. It meant the world to me. I mean, it yeah. really changed me. And I'm yeah. grateful. And it really is, again, you know, for our leaders, it's, it's a discovery of who we get to be, right? And who we're becoming always, 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 you know, and there's a yearning. And for you, you've described it as a curiosity, you know, a yearning for, for 
who we can become, the impact we can have. I know for you, you're just so excited about the impact you want to have, again, in your community, in your family, in your business, and the differences you can make. And obviously, that's, that's, that's what it's about for me. Yeah, I think it's about using, figuring out a way to make our, use our career to make a difference. And if we're, if we're, if we're not using our careers to make a difference, like a meaningful difference in our lives and the constituents around us, then, then uh, I think the profit that we earn is short term, right? I think that, again, profit follows contribution. The bigger the contribution, the bigger the profit, and that's the way it should be. And the more sustainable the contribution, the more sustainable the profit. Yeah. So this is where, you know, for example, if you think about our arbitrage, where I started, where I, I, I buy, then I break bulk and I sell, well, the profit is expended the moment it's done. Right. Right. When you think about, on the other hand, institutions that deliver a sustainable uh, contribution to people, well, they earn incomes that last a lifetime. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think that that's a powerful thing for people to get their heads around. What's the contribution you want to make? to yourself, to your community? How do you make that part of your job? And it could be an offshoot of your job. It can be, I'm going to have a very profitable widget manufacturing company, mm-hmm. and we're going to find a way that once a quarter, we name a different community initiative that we support Yeah, with our dollars and with our energy. Yeah. We bring attention to that. And I think that that's a very valid and worthy thing, but you do that as a team. You make it clear that's what you're doing. It's not for you to be the hero. It's for you to lift others around you. Yeah. Great leaders make other leaders. And, and I think that leadership is a word that's overused. I think coach is a better one. It's one that I know you love as a word. It's a one that you describe yourself with. And it's a one, it's one that I describe myself with. But I'm, I'm pleased to be the head coach of my team mm-hmm. as opposed to someone else's team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, so, so that was the big thing that I wanted to, as, as I, I, I sent Govin an email and, and he read it one way. I, I sent it as another way. He said, oh, so I didn't do well enough my first, uh, first podcast. And I went, no, no, no. I want to spend more time understanding the evolution of Govin. Well, I'm just glad you gave me a second chance. <laughs> well, well, anything else you'd like to uh, leave with our with our leaders, Govin? Well, I think I think the the words that I got are the best words to leave with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that you all, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're involved in, in Chris's organization in any way, or you're thinking about being involved, if you're involved in your community in any way and you're thinking about what does that mean if you're if you think that you might be a leader of tomorrow and you have no idea no desire to become part of the works organization in any way it doesn't matter the reality that you need to lean into is that you have so much to give and you had yeah. better start now and starting means that you understand yourself first yeah. it's not about doing anything It's about understanding who you are and becoming that person. And if you can do that, if you can set yourself about that work, then you can worry about building the clarity of vision and decide what action you're going to take and make sure that you're going to make that definite action and make that path yours. But first start with you. No, that well, that is that, so 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 wise and and uh, 
the journey doesn't end. And, and when, when you're playing the game that you and I are playing, it's about contribution. It's about growth. It's about mastery. It's about uh, a never learning cycle. It's not about some, some roadmap that I got to get to this so much money or owning this or owning that. It's not, not, not that, that will come as a result of these things and really not really all that significant compared to the things that we're offering. Like you make a real difference in people's lives, going to go to bed really happy. You're going to wake up really excited to go do it again. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, um, the understanding what has high value to you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, money has the ability to buy a lot of things that are useful. Yeah. Right. Uh, but very low happiness value. Right. I mean, if you really think about what's going to make you happy, it's going to be how authentic you're being to yourself, how, how much of yourself you get to apply on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's going to make you super happy. And it doesn't really matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're in waste collection, um, janitation services. It doesn't matter what it is. If you are happy, if you are in your, if you are living your purpose, if you are contributing to people, your community in the way that fills your heart, then there's greatness in that work. Yeah. And, 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 and no one, if you think about all the great leaders, all of them did little, tiny, minuscule tasks for little or no compensation. And that's what made them great. And, and if we joke back about what we were talking about at the beginning, uh, we get paid less than the minimum wage for the greatest things that we contribute to our families. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're menial tasks that require no training. That's require, require a great deal of love to do. Yes. And, and commitment, and, love and commitment. Yeah. And I think that those are the things, if you lean into and learn how to apply at scale, then, then you're a powerful person. Well, awesome. Well, hey, Govin, I we always love when we chat. So uh, it's, this one just was on a podcast. So uh, so look forward look forward to next time. <laughs> thanks for thanks thanks for taking an hour out of your day. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for giving me a second shot at this, Chris. Really, it was very generous of you. <laughs> okay. Good news, my friend. Take care. Bye bye. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.